Welcome to Sweet Silver Song, the podcast telling stories about our favourite football club, Liverpool. My name is Mark Kerr, a lifelong Liverpool supporter, watched my first match in 1965 and I now work as a tour guide at Anfield. However, these are not official podcasts of Liverpool Football Club. They are made independently by supporters with love. Now, the podcasts do cost us money to produce and publish, and we do need financial support. This episode is sponsored by Brantones, a Liverpool-based developer who designs and builds houses for housing trusts. Brantones is looking for plots of land suitable for residential development between half an acre and two acres, and an acre is about the size of a football field. Today, I am delighted to welcome my special guest, former Liverpool player, George Scott. Now, he was one of Bill Shankly's very first signings, and if you haven't heard of him, don't worry, George never made the first team, but he has written a tremendous book about his experiences at Anfield, The Lost Shankly Boy. And I posted the link to his book on our website and on the podcast notes. Welcome, George. Hello, Mark. Nice to be here. Lovely to meet you and lovely to be here. It's great to see you as well. Just to give the background to you, you were born uh, and raised in Aberdeen. Uh, you were a Aberdeen supporter, the Dons, and you actually were offered terms to sign for Aberdeen as an apprentice professional. But before you committed yourself to signing for them, I believe uh, Liverpool came in for you. Now, how did Liverpool uh, find you up in Aberdeen? Well, it was destiny, I think, really, because the, uh, the caretaker or the janitor in our school, I was only 15, he was a scout for Liverpool, and I didn't know he was a scout for Liverpool. Wow. None of us did, really. Yeah. And I was playing for Aberdeen schools, select, and I was playing for Scotland schools. And uh, his name was Jim Lorney. He was an ex-goalkeeper with St Mirren. And Jim asked me if I'd be interested in going for a trial to Liverpool Football Club. Now, I never knew anything about Liverpool. Neither did my parents or my family. They were a second division team going nowhere, apparently. But I did know about Bill Shankly because Bill Shankly had signed Dennis Law and Dennis was my idol. Right. And he, from Aberdeen, he played for Aberdeen schools three or four years before me. And I used to watch him driving around Aberdeen in his red Jaguar and I wanted to be like Dennis. So basically, I uh, agreed to go. My mother and father, stepfather, were, were persuaded to let me go. I looked upon it as a holiday, really. I came down and I had uh, three games uh, trial in the C team with Gordon Wallace. We met Gordon and we, we played three games. We both scored goals in the three games and did well. At the end of the week, um, Gordon went to see Bill and he was offered terms, £7 a week, I think it was, and he accepted. And then Bill pulled me in his office and asked me if, uh, if I, should come to, I wanted to come to Liverpool. And I told Bill that I was an Aberdeen supporter. I'd agreed to sign for Aberdeen for £6 a week. And uh, my grandmother, I said to him, didn't even know where Liverpool is. <laughs> and Shankly said, oh, you tell her, son, you tell her. <laughs> We're in the second division at the moment, but we'll be in the first division next year. Soon everybody will know where Liverpool is. And when he said that, it was like a bullet to the heart. It really affected me. And I went back to Aberdeen. I told my mum and my stepfather, my brothers, I was going to Liverpool. I wanted to go to Liverpool. And that was as simple as that. And eventually, I did go to Liverpool. Okay, so let's put this into context. Uh, this was January 1960, I believe. Yes. And, of course, Bill Shankly famously arrived at Anfield on the 1st of December 1959. So he, Bill Shankly had been in post a month. And already he's on the lookout for a bright young talent, yeah? Yeah. 
when you said yes to Bill Shankly, I say you didn't know where we were, except we were in the second division. <laughs> but Bill was so confident, wasn't he, that we'd be in the first division the next season. There, oh, was, yeah. there, was, no, oh, there was no doubting that, was there? <laughs> no, no doubt at all. But of course, when I came down, uh, I, re, re, I met Gordon again, Gordon Mullis and Bobby Graham. Yeah. Because um, basically what Bill had done, he right, he wanted to get some of the best young players mm. in the UK. He wanted to be a bit like Matt Busby with the Busby Babes. Yeah. And he signed uh, Bobby Gordon himself and Tommy Smith and Chris Lawler, local lads. And uh, an interesting story when uh, I first met Tommy and Chris, uh, Shankly brought us into the office and said, uh, I want you to meet these two boys, local boys. He said, they're both going to be big stars. You all are. And that was the first introduction to Tommy and Chris. I believe that there were five Scottish players that Shank Bill Shankly signed. You mentioned three of them. Uh, Smith, Tommy Smith and Chris Lawler. You were all about the same age, weren't you? You were all about 15, yep. going on 16. Local schoolboys, yeah. yeah, yeah. Chris and Tommy were local schoolboys, played for Liverpool boys. Um, Bobby Gordon and myself all played in, in Scotland. But Gordon actually came from Plenethley in South Wales, although he was born in Glasgow. Um, but they actually lived in South Wales. Um, yeah, they did. Five Scotsmen. There was a guy called Hamish McKenzie, a fullback, and uh, Phil Tinney, who was a left winger. And... Um, they were both brilliant players as well. And another lad called Alex Totten, who went on to become one of the most famous managers in Scottish football. Um, so we were all together. We all lived in digs together in Anfield Road. Oh, right, so on the doorstep, not far to go to work. 258 Anfield Road, that was our <laughs> lodgings. And Just, that's, that's the White House that faces down uh, Arthur's yes. Lane, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's still there yeah. today. Yeah, still there today. Every time I go to Anfield, I look at the three windows and say, that's our bedroom where we used to stay. I mean, to be honest with you, uh, very close to John Holding's house, Stanley House. Yes. Which is on the opposite side of the road, just slightly towards uh, yeah. Anfield Stadium, yeah. Yeah, and the Arkles pub, yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned Chris Lawler, um, and he was famously a very quiet man, wasn't he? He didn't say much. Uh, you tell the story, it's, it's quite a well-known Shaggy story, but I love it, uh, yeah. about when you were playing a five-a-side game. Yeah. Uh, Shankly was playing... I think it was basically, it was the coaching staff, wasn't it, against the youngsters yes. usually? Yeah. And you had shoes for goals, was that right? Boots for yeah, goals? Yeah, yeah, what do you call them? Pumps, basketball pumps. boots type, you know. <laughs> and they were, it's in the car park. Yeah. It's behind the main stand, right. which is now the main stand, but of course it was completely different then at a car park. And yeah, yeah. We used to put the pumps down and use the wall <laughs> for the other end. And be Bob Paisley, Joe Fagan, Ruben Bennett, um, Ronnie Moran Ronnie sometimes, frankly. And myself and Bobby and Gordon and Tommy and Chris. We play oh, five right. a sides. Okay. Uh, but in this particular game, I think Chris was, uh, was, was injured or something. Couldn't take part, but he was watching it. And yeah. then there was a disputed goal, wasn't there? Yeah, uh, there's a couple of good stories about yeah. Chris, really. I mean, and the reason, it stems from the fact that he was quite quiet. We yeah. called him the silent knight because he never used to speak hardly, you know. He did all his talking with his feet. Um, but that game you're talking about um, was in the car park. And Chris was injured after about five or six minutes of the game. So we were down to four men. And Shankly and Paisley and Fagan and the rest, they were, they were buoyant because they're, they're much older than us. They were in the 40s. We were only kids, teenagers, 16, something. And they used to cheat, um, desperate to win. Yeah. And Chris was watching the game and uh, Tommy Smith was defending the goal. Shankly chipped it over his head and went over the pump. 
and Shanky shouts, right, goal, time up, boys, get changed, get showered. And Tommy Smith says, no, no, boss, that wasn't a goal. That went over the pump. Yeah. Shanky said, it's a goal, son, I'm the manager, get changed. <laughs> no, boss, no, he didn't, it went over the pump. Chris, Shanky said, you're standing in a perfect view, was that a goal, son? And Chris said, no, boss. Shanky says, Christ, the boy's taking about two years to speak. His first words are lie. <laughs> He said bloody lie, actually, but I mean, you know, <laughs> got that out. I mean, I mean, the funny thing is, although I know the story, I knew what the punchline was, it's still funny. And the other story with Chris is, you know, you'll know this, I mean, Chris was a phenomenon. He played, I don't know how many games, 460 games for Liverpool. In one period, he went seven years without missing a game. Mm. He might have missed two games. Anyway, we're playing five sides at Melwood. <clears throat> goes over on his ankle and uh, he's hobbling off to the... Uh, the pavilion at Melwood. Well, later on that afternoon, he's in the treatment room and Shankly and Paisley come up the passage and they see him coming out the treatment room with a limping, you know. And Shankly said to Paisley, he said, ah, there's that malinger, a Lola. <laughs> 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 Didn't like you when you were injured, Bill. Oh, no, believe not. So, yeah, I mean, that reminds me of Phil Neal, who famously played 417 consecutive matches for Liverpool which is fantastic. Like eight and a half seasons, basically. Unbelievable. That included playing when he had a broken toe. And um, the, I believe the coaching staff gave him a, an oversized boot, packed the end with tissue paper and said, don't tell the boss. He is right. So he played with a broken toe and uh, Bob Paisley was the manager and did, never, was never told about it. It was incredible. But um, they don't make him like that anymore, do they, George? <laughs> no, Gordon Wallace was always injured. That was one of his big problems. Mm. He was a great player, Gordon. You know, really would have been a big star. But he had brittle bones and he kept getting injured. And, you know, it was a bit of a thing in the club that Gordon was just getting started. Then he'd get injured. And again, once Shankly sees Gordon coming out mm. with his arm round uh, Albert Shelley's shoulder limping, you know, mm. walking stick. And Shankly said, he said... Wallace's walking stick's been sold and healed twice. He's had more operations than him. <laughs> well, let's talk about Gordon Wallace because he's not a very well-known player because he only had quite a short career at Liverpool. But yeah. he has two historic firsts mm. for Liverpool. So the first one is he scored our very first goal in Europe, didn't he? In Europe at Reykjavik, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was, yeah. Fantastic. So, so our first match was away in, in Iceland. Uh, it was the preliminary round of the European Cup. It's, we're, go, we're flying into the unknown here, aren't we? Did you go on the trip to... No, Mexico? I didn't, but I mean, at the time, and uh, I'm not sure who was injured. I think it was St. John. And, and Gordon got... I was, that was going to be between me and Gordon yeah. to get in that game. Yeah. The thing is, with me, um, Mark, my... I was very unlucky, and I'll go on to this perhaps later, but I was a leading goal scorer in the second team mm-hmm. for three consecutive seasons and had the most appearances in the second team mm-hmm. for three consecutive seasons. But for some unaccountable reason, I couldn't just quite make that little break in, you know. Yeah. Gordon got his chance against West Bromwich mm-hmm. uh, when Tommy Lawrence made his debut the same day. And he had a wonderful game. I mean, he, he really ran Don Howe ragged. All right. And that was his, he was a talented player, Gordon, as was Bobby. And in all modesty, so was I. But the bottom line is, there was no substitutes. Yeah. And so it was limited opportunities for all of us. Yeah. Even Bobby didn't get in the team until much later. 
um, yes. regularly. I well, mean, he, he, I think he's, he's one full season. The one first full season he played every 70, game. wasn't it? And he had a bad injury, an mm. ankle injury, which stymied his career. Mm. But he was a wonderful player, as Gordon was as well. And they would have been, and me as well, I think, would have been regulars in any mm. other club. Yeah. But because you had Callaghan, Hunts and John Smith and Thompson yeah. holding us out, yeah. we just had to keep going and keep going. And Gordon only had about 15 games and he should have had many more. But the, but the other historic first, of course, was he scored the first ever goal on match of the day. Yeah, yes, absolutely. A black and white. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I never I never saw match of the day for quite a long time because it went out, first of all, on BBC Two. Yeah. And I believe the audience for the first um, episode was like in tens of thousands, not yeah. even hundreds of thousands. Yeah. And um, by the time it transferred to BBC One, uh, it was sometime in the mid to late 60s, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. It must have been 64. I think it was later than that, you know. Uh, but I, th- I think we definitely had it by 65, 66. Yes. And there, there is Gordon Wallace um, yeah. scoring the very first goal against Arsenal. Yeah. Uh, we beat them 3-2, didn't we? And in fact, he scored two, didn't he? That he game? scored two, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he also, he played against West Ham in the final, well, the Charity Shield, which was at Anfield for some unaccountable reason, the final. Yeah. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure whether he even scored in that game. But he didn't score many goals, but he scored very important goals. Mm. And the that's in history. In fact, there was a question on Mastermind. I watched it one night, who scored Liverpool's very first goal in the European Cup? Was it Ian St. John, Roger Hunt or Gordon Wallace? And the contestant got it wrong. Well... I'm going to tell you something now you didn't know. I did Mastermind. My specialist subjects uh, included the history of Liverpool Football Club and I got to the final. Wow. <laughs> and Fantastic. I, I only got one question wrong on Liverpool. I'll, I'll ask you, I don't think you'll know it because I didn't know it. So the first all Merseyside Cup final, it was the League Cup final, the, or the Milk Cup final in uh, 84. Who was the referee? I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. I guessed there was a, um, I think I guessed Neil Midgley because he was a Cheshire-based yeah. referee and whatever. And it turned out to be a guy called Alan Robinson who I've never heard of. Oh, uh, tough question. Yeah, but that's the only one I got wrong. Yeah, uh, well, you did well. Fantastic, yeah. you know. The only referee I can remember from that, really remember, is Jack Taylor. Yeah. Because he, he cost us the FA Youth Cup final. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, let's talk about that because that was probably the highlight of your playing career at Liverpool, wasn't it? Get- well, yeah, it was. It was a fantastic experience. We would have been the first ever Liverpool team to win the FA Youth Cup, and we won the first leg at Anfield three-one. Yeah, and I hit the underside of the bar with the head on the last minute in the cup end, and it had gone in. We'd been four-one. Mm. Um, we went to West Ham the following week, and we we lost the game on aggregate 6-5 and we scored first at the Tupton Park so we were actually leading 4-1 yeah. then they scored 4-2 then we scored again 5-2 and so you know I mean Bobby Graham then hit the post and then they came back Harry Redknapp was on the right wing he was 17 yeah. John Sisson's on the left wing they're a really good team John Charles he played in the FA Cup final not, not the John Charles no, who played no, the Leeds uh, no, uh, John, John Charles, Charles. Yeah. but they were a good team and we were a good team and we were a better team really but fate conspired against us yeah. But the, the, the unfortunate thing was the, the winning goal was scored by a, a lad called Martin Britt and the cross came over from Harry Redknapp and our goalkeeper, Rodney Swindlehurst, his name was, he jumps up and catches it just about on the line and this centre-forward Britt put his shoulder to him and he went in the goal with the ball and everything oh, yeah. and Jack, Jack allowed the goal. That's where Shankly was incandescent. In fact, you know, he was really annoyed. Tommy Smith was incandescent. He, I think he got booked, Tommy. 
the end of the game for continually remonstrating with the referee. And then next time Tommy saw Jack Taylor at Anfield when he was in the first team following the season, they're going up the steps onto the pitch behind Jack and he says to taps Jack on his shoulder and he says, uh, I'll save you the trouble. Smith, number four. <laughs> <laughs> and the other funny thing was uh, in that cup final, the first one, Anfield, we were in the dressing room and Shanks was giving us our talk and he said uh, to Tommy, he said, this boy Sissons in the left wing, Tommy, he's a flyer. I want him in the band box in 10 minutes. <laughs> and Tommy duly obliged. He hobbled off. Sissons hobbled off and he was shouting to John Bond, the manager, I think, psycho, he's a psycho. He's a Smith, Tommy Smith. So, uh, of course, there was no substitutes no. back in the day. That was so, a big problem for us. So injured players would have to sort of hobble on up the plane on the wing or whatever. Yeah, they? like in the cup final when Jerry Byrne played the whole game with a broken collarbone. Yeah. So we'll talk about that now then. So 1965, we get to our, our second Wembley Cup final. The first one since 1950, which of course we lost to Arsenal too now. And in about the fourth minute, wasn't it? There was a, a Jerry Byrne and Bobby Collins went for the ball. Um, well, Jerry Byrne went for the ball and Bobby Collins, in typical Leeds fashion, put his foot over the ball and yeah. just barged into Jerry yeah. But he basically shoulder charged him in the chest, didn't he? And Jerry Burney was a hard man. Oh, yeah, the hardest man in the club. Yeah. Shankly said that. Yeah. yeah. He went down and Bob Paisley realised straight away he'd broken his collarbone. So I think that they, they wanted him to go off, didn't they? Yeah, he, he didn't go off. And, and in fact, he laid on the goal for Roger, I think. Yeah. He crossed the ball for Roger to score. Yeah. First goal. Yeah. Um, Marvellous man, Jerry. Wonderful. Wonderful. He was always good to me, good to us young players. And um, he was hard as nails, you know, really tough. You know, Shankly tells a lot of stories about Jerry, about being hard. I mean, but I'd be here all day if I was telling you, you know. I remember that the, the cop uh, nickname for him was Crunch. Yeah. And the other thing I remember about Jerry Byrne was he, would, he was very reluctant to just hoof the ball out, no matter how much pressure he was under. Yeah. It's about playing the ball from the back. Jerry Byrne would be surrounded by players and he would refuse to just launch him. And eventually he'd, he'd managed to find a little to pass through yeah. to a teammate. And we were all, we always saying, just, just, just welly it. And afterwards we go, oh, cool as a cucumber. Ah, Jerry, cool as a cucumber. Yeah, yeah, he was, yeah. A wonderful player, wonderful fullback. Got capped for England as well, you know. But he was unlucky, like Peter, Peter Thompson and Jerry and Ian Callaghan. They're all in the England squad for the World Cup, the initial squad. And none of them got picked because Alf Ramsey dispensed with wingers. Yeah. In fact, Peter Thompson was at my wedding because I got married the same day England won the World Cup. And Peter and I, in fact, I was talking recently on the, online to um, Geraldine, Chris's wife. And uh, she said to me, said, uh, do you remember at your wedding, you and Peter and me were watching the World Cup final in London Road in a shop window because our, our reception was at... Samson and Barlow's in London Road. Right. When the World Cup final was on. Yeah. And so, you know, I was a groom. <laughs> and me and Peter and Geraldine are watching the game. You should have been there. Hang on. Should... You're Scottish. What we, why we... Oh, you wanted Germany to win, did you? <laughs> well, the interesting thing was in the service, in the, in the church, um, towards the end of the service, somebody shouted. Um, you know, I thought, oh, that's nice, you know. And it was because the uh, Germans had equalised. Yeah. Just Scottish members of the family shouting <laughs> at the back of the church. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of stories about that, isn't there? I mean, I think um, they asked Dennis Law, did he enjoy the World Cup final? And he says, no, I went playing, got playing golf. 
I wasn't going to watch England play in the World well, Cup. I'm not like that. I, mean, I wanted England to win the World Cup, you know, I did. You yeah. know. I was delighted, of course, the following year when Scotland beat them at Wembley and we became unofficial world champions. Absolutely, yes. And broke the crossbar. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk about Dennis Law. Um, you tell a lovely story when uh, Bill Shankly introduced you to Dennis. Yeah. Because although you're both from Aberdeen and you'd seen him play, you didn't really know him, did you? No, I knew his, I knew his brother, Dewey, yeah, yeah. Dewey Law, and... Um, I knew him on an off, not not on a personal side. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've said hello to him, and, and, and when he was in Aberdeen, you know, as as an admirer really than yeah. anything else, you know. And that particular story you're referring to was uh, when I was only, I think I was barely sixteen, and Shankly said to me, just out of the blue, he said, "I'm going to take you over to meet your idol son. He's playing at Goodison tonight, and he's playing against Everton for Man City." Yeah. It was a pouring rain night, I remember. So yeah. off I went to uh, Goodison. Met Bill. Um, he went off with Bob into the main stand, and I was some. I wasn't with him during the game, yeah. watching the game. And then at the end of the game, he agreed for me to meet at the players' entrance. So I met I met Bill and Ruben at the players' entrance, and Bill proceeds to take me into the uh, into the Goodison dressing room. Being a man, you know, a game had just finished, been pouring the rain, mud everywhere. He bangs on the dressing room door. He he barges into the Man City dressing room, drags Dennis out. He's still got his shirt outside his pants, mud in his face. <laughs> Boots, one boot on, one boot off. And he says to him, he said, Dennis, I want you to meet this boy here, Georgie Scott. He said, he's from Aberdeen. He's going to be better than you, son. <laughs> and Dennis said, he does tend to exaggerate, son. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the first time I met Dennis. He was wonderful. Spoke to me for about five minutes. And I danced all the way back to Anfield. You yeah. know, it was like meeting my idol, you know. And I met Dennis quite a few times after that. And I got quite friendly with him. But that was the first time I met him. My Dennis Law story is, um, of course, you remember the Saint-Étienne game. Matt, yeah, one of the most iconic nights in our Davey history. Fairclough. And I couldn't, I was locked out. So, back in those days, the match wasn't live on the telly. It wasn't even live on the radio. I think they, only, they were only allowed to broadcast the second half, if I remember right. Yeah. So, we drove back home, put on uh, radio, what was now Radio 5 Live, and got the second half commentary. And of course, if you remember what happened, we, we lost the away leg 1-0. Kevin Keegan scored very early on off a, directly off a corner, uh, made it 1-0. But then in the second half, with about half an hour to go, they scored a goal. Uh, Tanae just hit this shot. He swerved all over the place and no goal on the earth could have got it. And Clements just couldn't get anywhere near it. Now we were in massive trouble. And we had to score two goals in the last half an hour. So when Bartonet scores that goal, Dennis Law, who was the expert summariser on the radio, and he says, well, that's it. He said, Liverpool had a good go tonight. He said, you have to say, San Etienne are a class team. They should have been European champions last season. They were very unlucky to lose to Bayern Munich in the final. But they've got too much class for Liverpool tonight, and that's, that's that. And, of course, we famously came back and won 3-1. As you say, David Furcliffe scored a classic winning goal yeah. coming on as a sub. So, that's in 1977. <clears throat> They say revenge is a dish best served cold. So in 1981, we get to the final in Paris and we are staying at the Hotel Le Palais de Trianon in Versailles. And guess who's staying there? The, the Liverpool squad and the media. Who stood on the steps of the hotel but Dennis Law? He's, you know, he's, unre he's completely unmistakable, isn't he? There's only one Dennis yeah. Law. And I thought, oh, I've got a word of him. So... <laughs> I don't think you'll think I waited for the car to stop. I pulled the push door and sort of walked over to Dennis and I said, Oh, hello, Dennis. He's, and he goes, and he, of course, he's a lovely man. He goes, yes. Hello, son, how are you? With his big smile. 
uh, shaking hands and whatever. I said, I've got a bone to pick with you. He looked at me. I said, San Etienne. And he went, oh, no. And his face just collapsed. And he said, every <laughs> Liverpool fan who listened to that on the radio has never let me forget it. He said, I'm really, really sorry. He said, look, I love Liverpool. But I idolised Bill Shankly. Of course, I wanted Liverpool to win. But at that time, I thought they'd blown it, you know. You all did. Yeah. But a, lo- a lovely man. Well, um, I, in the book, there's a story I gave me, Dennis, in later life. I mean, I met him a number of times and. the... There's two occasions really which was quite interesting. One was when uh, I was working in sales and um, had a very successful sales sales management career over the years. And I was working in sales and one of the benefits was we got to go to the uh, the arena in Birmingham, the golf um, exhibition. Hmm. And Dennis was there with John Letters Golf Clubs. He was he represented him. And I had this guy that used to work for me. He was a scratch golfer from Scotland, a lad called Nicky Gold. And uh, we spotted Dennis in the John Letters Pavilion and he saw me right away and he stopped whatever he was doing. He came over and we were chatting away. I introduced Nicky to him, got his autograph. He was thrilled, you know, and Dennis was chatting away there and, and the John Letters people were sharing, come on, Dennis, we've got a, ske- a schedule to meet. And he said, I'll be back in a minute. I'm sp- speaking to my pal, you know, wonderful. He said, Bill Shankly said, your boss was going to be better than me. He said, but he meant as a salesman, not as a footballer. <laughs> Like nice one, and he was right. Yeah. Sadly, Dennis yeah. went into sales after he left Manchester, which is amazing. He worked for Francis Lee, yeah, selling toilet rolls. Yeah, and the interesting thing was, I met him twice when I was working for one of the, and twice I gave him leads, yeah. gave him leads for companies, and he really appreciated it, and and he did well from these leads. Anyway, um, again later on, he'd been doing the after summaries in Manchester United against Plymouth in the FA Cup. And, uh, you know, at the end of the game, he asked Tommy Doherty if he could come back on the plane with the Manchester City, with the Manchester United team. Yeah. Because he had a meeting with Francis Lee in Wigan and he said office that following, early the following morning and they refused to let him on the plane. They basically said, no press, we're not allowing any media. Anyway, Dennis was telling me the story. I said, that's terrible. Then. He said, what do you think, Georgie? He said, they might have made an exception, might they? I said, no, Dennis, you relegated them. Yes. <laughs> You saw the joke. You laughed. (laughs) Well, also true. And he did. He back healed it in the net. (laughs) Yeah, he did. Uh, He was devastated, though, wasn't he? You could see. Yeah. He really. He he was doing his job as a professional. But he was devastated when he realised what he'd done. Great man. Wonderful player. Like most of those players are from that generation. All the big players. No side to them. Mm. Very natural. Speak to anybody. You know, it's a a change day now. Not quite as easy now for the players. I I went to. I was invited to a lunch uh, event in Manchester and it was um, George Best and Dennis Law and like a sportsman's lunch, if you like. And, and I was invited, I was hosted, so I thought, well, that'll be good. I'm going to go be taken out for lunch, going to get to see and hear Dennis Law and George Best and probably get a few drinks and stuff. Yeah, brilliant. This was on a, uh, a Monday lunchtime, but it was, it was the Monday following the George Best Incident on the telly when he was drunk. Yeah, um, Parkinson or something was it one of the shows? Or Wogan maybe. Yeah, but yeah, it was one of those interview programs. And then of course he went after that happened. He went to ground and nobody could find him. So we're all saying, well, will he be here or not? Will he turn up? Dennis Law turns up and where's George? And eventually George Best appears and looks a bit sheepish, but. The, the, so Dennis Law says, well, uh, it's a question and answer session on your table, the sheets of paper. 
write down your question, hand it in, and then we'll, we'll start have a look and we'll pick the best ones. So we have our lunch and over lunch people are writing questions. And then it says, right, okay, we've got the Q&A starting now. So Dennis, do you want to go first? And Dennis says, yeah, I'll just pick the first question up here. Okay, George, what happened on uh, Wogan on uh, Friday? <laughs> and sat down. Oh, God. And George is going, oh, no, you've dropped me right in it. But of course, I mean, that's just typical Dennis Law, isn't it? I mean, yeah, that is. It's <laughs> just impish sense of humour. A flawed genius, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, George, yeah, very much so, yeah. One of your pals, of course, was Bobby Graham. Uh, a, a Scotsman like yourself from Motherwell. Yes. Obviously, he lived he lived on Anfield Road, I believe. Lived about two blocks further down, yeah. And but uh, Bobby actually got his chance to play in the first team, didn't he? In fact, he had a f- pretty a spectacular debut, didn't he? He scored a hat trick in his debut against Aston Villa. Yeah. He was only very young at the time. I think he must be seventeen, I think, something like that. You know, it was wonderful for him. You know, really. I mean, he played a couple more games, and of course, like most of us, he was out in the reserves again because. St John was back in the team and Roger was back in the team, yeah. so you know he, he he lost his place like most of them for a while. And it took him a while to get become a regular. I mean, he only really became a proper regular in nineteen sixty nine. Yeah, was it sixty nine seventy? Yeah, yeah. He, he played fifty games every single game. I remember in that. See, I'd, I'd left the club by then, mm. but I used to follow his career obviously mm. when I was uh, playing on whatever I was, um, and it was marvelous to see him being so consistent. And yet a year later, he was sold to Coventry. My favorite goal of his was the goal at Goodison Park in the Derby match, the famous Derby when Sandy Brown scored the yes. own goal at the park end. The first goal was a far post header by Emily Hughes. He kind of sort of headed it onto his shoulder and yeah. somehow he, he got it over the line. Bobby rounded it all off beautifully. It was, I think it was a through ball. I think it was from St. John and he, he was in the clear and he very coolly took it round the goalkeeper and uh, rolled it into the empty net. Um, wonderful goal. But unfortunately, in the October of 1970, uh, we were playing Chelsea at Anfield. I was there, and I remember distinctly, the ball was going to go out of play uh, on the Kemlin Road side of the pitch. Bobby went to uh, try and stop it from going out, and somehow or other, he got his foot over the ball, didn't he? Yeah, yes. Rolled his, his ankle over the ball and, and broke his ankle. Yeah, sadly. It really stopped him then. He never really recovered from no. that at Liverpool. He went on to have a lot, of, a lot of success in Scotland. Yeah. Back with his hometown team, Motherwell, yeah. and Hamilton Academicals as well. He scored loads of goals yeah. up there. He was very friendly with the Saint. Um, both come from Motherwell. Yeah. And Ian looked after him. I think Ian took him to Coventry when he was manager there. Yeah. And eventually up to Motherwell. So, I mean, he had a great career in Scotland, but he could have had a much greater career at Anfield, I think, if he'd have broken a bit sooner. Maybe. Yeah. But again, we were all... We were all had that gatekeepers, those five gatekeepers, you know, Callaghan, Hunson, John Smith and Thompson. And they never got injured. And people used to say to Bill, what's your team on Saturday? Said, Same as last season. So I mentioned at the, in my introduction to you that Bill Shankly said you were the 12th best player in the world. Do you want to tell me how come he came to say that to you? Yeah, well, it was, it was you know, uh, after the cup final. Uh, I went down to the cup final with Peter Thompson um, and all the boys. Uh, the one, two, one, fantastic. You know, came back for half a million people in the streets up at the town hall. Shankly standing there with his arms astray. You know, yeah, big white horse. It was unbelievable. I scenes. was there. I was yes, only, lovely. Uh, you remember nine. it? It was a fantastic occasion. I, I'd never seen grown men cry before like that. No, they were yeah. absolutely insane. I'm getting a bit teary now thinking about it because yes. we had waited seventy three years for That's this right. occasion. That's right. Yeah. And we never thought it would come. And 
every Evertonian you ever met would say, oh, you spoke Liverpool, do you, lad? Yeah. Come back and talk to me when you've won the FA Cup, lad. Yeah. And it was so frustrating. And I said to my dad, Dad, how come he'd never won the FA Cup? He said, look, don't worry about it. He said, they haven't won it for 30-odd years. Yeah, well, I, I remember walking up uh, the pitch wave behind Bob and Bill and listening to them talk about an hour and a half, two hours before the game. It was a slight drizzle going on and a lot of the Liverpool fans were already in there, and you know, thousands of them. And Shankly said to Bob Paisley, he said, uh, we can't lose for this crowd, Bob. It's not an option. I always remember that, his words. I, I think that's probably a similar sentiment and feeling to Rome 77, because when the players walked out at the Olympic Stadium, having lost the cup final on the Saturday, and they saw a sea of red yeah, and white, unbelievable. they thought, we can't lose this. We're very lucky, aren't we? Lose is not an option here. We've yeah. got to win this game for these guys. Yeah. And I think Wembley was the same on it. Well, going back to your question about this uh, quote that Shankly said, was after the cup final, after that parade, uh, we came back to the digs yeah. in Lily Road off Prescott Road, where Peter and I lived. And there was a letter for me on the mat, and I opened the letter, and it said that uh, I thought the letter was going to be new contract next year because yeah. I been I was a leading goal scorer that year yeah. in the Central League by about eight goals. Yeah. So, I mean, I was sailing along. At that. I think I scored seven goals in three games. Wow. At uh, one stage. Anyway, um, I opened up and it said, uh, we've accepted a bid, uh, a transfer from Aberdeen Football Club for £12,000 from Eddie Turnbull. Mm. Um, so I was shattered. Part of me was, you know, I'm thinking Aberdeen, but I wasn't thinking that way. I was thinking Liverpool. Why am I leaving Liverpool? I've been there yeah, five yeah. years. Yeah. I've done everything. I've scored loads of goals and all the teams I've played for. Yeah. On four, even, even the game before the cup final, I didn't get a game. And he chankly played about half a dozen, maybe more reserves. Yes. Some of whom had only had a couple of games in the first team. Was it uh, Sorry, in the reserve team. Was it Wolves? Wolves, yeah. yeah. And I, he told me the reason for that was he'd committed, he'd committed to the transfer and Eddie Turnbull, the manager of Aberdeen, didn't want me to play. Now, whether that was true or not, I don't know, but that's what yeah. he told me. But I didn't play, and I wished I had played, because mm -hmm. I would have had that one league game, yeah. and I would have maybe scored. Who knows? Yeah. Um, it's, fate's a funny thing. It's fine yeah. margins. I mean, even in 1964, 63, I think it was, on tour of America. Yeah. And uh, it was a six-week tour, and I had my bag, and I had my injections, and I had all ready to go, and the club signed Phil Chisnell. 10 days before the tour. <laughs> and Shankly pulled me in the office and said to me that, sorry son, there's only 20 places and we just signed Phil Chisnell for 30,000. You have to miss out. Go home and get yourself fit. Next season's a big season for you. And he wrote that letter. I've got a letter here. Yeah. He wrote it to it's me. It's in the book, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, so I went back in all faith and got stuck in for the next season. But they went to America for five weeks. And there was one game, I think, they won 14-1. And Alfie Harris <laughs> scored six. And I thought, well, I'd have scored goals over there. Yeah. You know, I would have had a chance. But the interesting thing was, going back to the story about Shankly uh, speaking to me, he pulled me in the office after the Inter Milan game. We played Inter Milan in the semi-final of the uh, European Cup, which was just after the cup final. And I went in, it was a very emotional meeting, because Bill looked upon me as almost like a son, I think. Yeah. Because he brought me down at the age of 15, he told me mum would look after me, him and Ruben, because Ruben was from Aberdeen. And I, there it was having to tell me that I'm gone. And... Uh, he broke it to me as gently as he could, you know. And he said, look, son, he said, George, he said, you're 20 years of age. You need first-team football. These boys are not going anywhere. They're all internationals. Yeah. I sold you to Aberdeen. It's your first love. You're back with your mum. You're back with your family. You're getting a first-team there. You make a name for yourself in Scotland. It's the right decision. 
And I said, I'm, I was, tears were coming down my face. I was only a young lad, you know. And he said, and remember this, son, he said, at this moment in history, you're the 12th best player in the bloody world. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, the first team's just won the league, son, and we've won the cup. These are the best 11 players in the world. He said, and you're the 12th best. You're the leading scorer and the leading scorer in the reserve team, central league team, you know. And I, I thought, oh, God, no, that's, that's a load of rubbish. Anyway, um, and then, this was the most emotional part. As I got out and went to leave his office, he put his arm on my shoulder and he said to me, and I can remember it vividly, he said, think of yourself, son. Just think of yourself. It's the foundation stone of the Liverpool Cathedral. Nobody will ever see that stone, son. Without the stone being there, the cathedral won't be built. Yeah. And I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. Yeah. My mind was all over the place, you know. But it's only years later I suddenly realised what he was saying about the shared experience and that everybody's important and the club only gets built through the players. And he also said, he said, you're one of the first players to come here, son, and, and sign for me, he said. All the very best, he said. Anyway, I went up to Aberdeen and I did really well and all the rest of it. But after I left Aberdeen... I was going to South Africa to play in South Africa and I went to see him in his office and he gave me a reference and the reference is one of the most amazing references you'll ever see mm. and it got me my first job after football in sales and it says, dear people, George Scott played for my football club for five years. During that time, he never caused no trouble to nobody. I would stake my life on his character. W. Shankly in red ink. Now that's my most precious possession. That's going to my oldest son when I pass away. Yeah. And I wouldn't go anywhere else. I'd never sell it. No. You know, he was an absolute amazing man. Well, it doesn't get any stronger recommendation in life, does it? Than no, that? and it's, it's something to live up to, and I've tried my best to live up to it for the rest of my life, really. I'm fascinated, really, by the, the whole boot room thing at Anfield, because obviously Shankly was the manager. Uh, Bob Paisley was the trainer. Uh, I realised, obviously, that included things like uh, being the physiotherapist. And, yeah, Joe uh, Fagan was the reserve team trainer at the time. Uh, and you, obviously, you, would play, you so were playing... Joe all the time for four years. He was like, years he's basically your manager, wasn't he, yeah, in the reserve yeah. team. Uh, and you've got Ruben Bennett as coach. Now, to me, a coach is someone like Arsene Wenger or whatever who, you know, goes through all the sort of, uh, maybe the, the tactics or, or maybe some sort of moves that you might use in a match or whatever, or maybe free kick routines. But that wasn't what Ruben Bennett did, was it? No, Ruben was the sergeant major. Right. Ruben kept us in check. Ruben, Ruben uh, he didn't organise the training, but he implemented it. Okay. Bob Paisley, Shankly, organised the training. Yeah. Bob had a big input into that, and Joe. But um, Ruben was, he was a black T-shirt, a black tracksuit top, yeah. shorts, short socks. In the middle of winter, he'd walk up Anfield Road in his shirt sleeves, <laughs> and you'd say to him, you're not cold, Ben. You're not cold. I come from Aberdeen's son. This is tropical. <laughs> he was that sort of man. And he also used to have a thing where he said, um, when we were training, he'd get us young lads together. And we're all about 17 at the time. And he's 42, whatever he is. He said, right, but I'm the sprint, a sprint test. He said, all of you against me. He said, and it's yards for years. <laughs> so we had to give him like 30 yards start, you know, yeah. one yard for each year. Yeah, yeah. Never beat him. You know, and uh, he was an amazing character. Some of the stories he told us. He told us one story. He said, when he played for Third Lanark in Scotland, he held the world record for the longest punch out of a goalkeeper. And we thought, what are you talking about, Ben? That's rubbish. No, no, it's true, son. He said, I was playing at Starks Park against Wraith Rovers, he said, for Third Lanark. He said, and this ball come across from the right wing. I came out my goal line. He said, I jumped as hard as I could, put my knees in the back of the goalkeeper, thumped the ball as hard as I could, went right out the stadium, landed in the goods carriage, ended up in Aberdeen. 
And he was right because he wasn't right about the story, yeah. but he was right about the location because Starks Park is right next to the railway line between Edinburgh and Aberdeen. So, you know, he told us all those stupid stories, you know, just to give us a laugh, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a bit like who scored the goal out from furthest out at Anfield and it was uh, St. John because he scored from Hunts Cross. <laughs> right, that's a cracker, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, he also told us a story when he, when he used to in, get injured and he'd go down, you know. He said, now oh, we didn't go down in junior football in Aberdeen, he said, because we played in cinder pitches, mm-hmm. cinder pitches. Mm-hmm. And if we went down and lay down more than a minute, the trainer came on with a wire brush. <laughs> Not a magic sponge. <laughs> it was all nonsense, of course, but he was a character, and a great character. And like all the boot room boys, he was already at Anfield when Shankly arrived, so he was there, so was Bob Paisley. Yes. Um, so was... Um, Joe, wasn't he? Joe was there, wasn't he? Joe Fagan, yeah. Albert Shelley. Well, Shankly did, which is quite amazing. He, he, he didn't sack them all. No. He said, look, I'll work with you. Just be honest with me. Don't come telling any tales, because if you do, you're the one in trouble. And let's all stick together. Yeah. And what he, by doing that, he created a, a dynasty of success yeah, at Anfield. Yeah, because yeah. There, are a lot of, there are a lot of people who've been successful managers in English football. People like Alex Ferguson, people like um, Arsene Wenger. Yeah. I hate to say it, but Jose Mourinho, Matt Busby, Don Revy, but Brian Clough. But they've all got one thing in common, that when they left their, 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 their clubs that they were successful with, the clubs went backwards. Now, when Shankly left Liverpool, we became even more successful. Mm-hmm. Now, that is amazing. That is, is a, a fantastic legacy that Shankly built at Anfield. And he, that's unique, isn't it, in English, English yeah. club football? Well, those, those lads were all ahead of the time. The training methods were ahead of the time. I described them in the book. I mean, they could be doing it today. Some of the stuff that they actually uh, did then, they had shooting boards, which put yes. pressure on people to be under pressure for a couple of minutes in the shooting boards, hitting the ball, catching it, turning, hitting it, catching it, shooting at the goalkeeper, and the goalkeeper missed it. It hit the board and came back. You rebounded it in again. And then the reserves came in, did the same thing. You did laps of the pitch. And while you were doing a lap of the pitch, the other boys were on weights and step-ups. And then you had five-a-sides, and he loved the ball, five-a-sides, you know. So the whole thing was planned. And you had to go back to Anfield on the coach, have a a bath in Anfield, but he didn't believe in an instant bath because he wanted the pores, things like the pores had to close, you know, before he had a bath. So we're thinking medically all the time. Bob Paisley was a brilliant physiotherapist. He was so brilliant. We used to play five-a-sides. Bob's cartilage would come out, he'd put it back in himself and carry on playing. I mean, you wouldn't believe that really, but it was true. So they were way ahead of their time. And on top of all that, Shankly had the charisma to interact with the public and the media. So he was he was the front man. Yeah. Where Bob Paisley was like the um and Morecambe and Wise, well, you know, yeah. Shankly would have been Eric Morecambe and yeah. Bob would have been Eddie Wise, you know. Yeah, he's a very quiet man, wasn't he, Bob Paisley? Yeah, but uh, brilliant. Lovely man. I mean I think possibly well we all know that Bob Paisley was our most successful what manager. Success he had, yeah. In terms of trophies, because in nine seasons we won nineteen uh major trophies, <laughs> six league titles. Incredible. Uh a UEFA Cup, uh, three European Cups, now called the Champions Leagues. And I remember they said to Bob Paisley at the end of his career, uh, oh, Bob, you know, it's, you've had the most fantastic time as manager of Liverpool. I mean, the most successful period in the history. And um, Paisley said, well, it's not all been success, you know. I mean, I've been here during the bad times. I mean, we came second once. <laughs> they had some great quips, didn't they? You know, you know. somebody says, Shankly, he struggled, he struggled a bit last week, Billy. Ah, here we are struggling at the top of the league. <laughs> All sorts of things he used to come out with, you know. Nothing fazed them. But you're right. What a de- what a legacy they left for the next 
generation, you know, mm-hmm. when you look up, you know, to, even right up to today. I remember Shangri said to me and my dad, my stepfather, we're in centre circle. He brought us out in the centre circle and he said to my dad, who'd come down for a visit, see how I was doing with the digs and everything. And he said, Are you boys lucky to be here, Mr. Scott? He said, This place is going to be a bastion of invincibility. They'll all come here and be beaten, every one of them. They'll all come here and be beaten, son. You're very lucky, George. Now we remember, they're still coming here to be beaten. You said in your book that there was a room, um, like a meeting room, uh, on the same, in the same area where the change rooms were and Shankly's office was, and that would be used for crisis meetings, like if we lost a home game. The snooker room, yeah. The snooker room. Uh, a crisis, we lost a home match. That's yeah. right, yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah. Yeah, I remember the story poor Phil Tinney. Phil was a wonderful player, you know, he scored two goals, in, three goals in the FA Youth Cup final over the two legs, and later transferred to Dundee. He was in digs with me, Phil. And it was this particular game, the Echo Cup final, I think it was. Oh, yeah. Liverpool Echo. And we were, Shankly's insistent, we had to be every game. If it was a game at Anfield, we had to be in the band box. We used to have the band box next to the um, players' tunnel where the old band used to stand before the games. It would be like by. the brass band kind yeah. of thing. Was and sort of, so yeah. we'd expect all the reserves, yeah. young lads, apprentices, Shankly be in the stand and he'd be, he'd be eyeing up who was there, you know. And this lad, Phil Tinney, they'd lost a game on a Saturday, I think. And we were all convened into the snooker room. And Shankly said uh, to Joe Fagan, where's Tinney? Phil Tinney, yeah, where is he? Oh, he's sweeping out there with a dressing room bus, you know. Get him in here. So Phil gets dragged in like a criminal, like a bank robber. You know, he's in the middle of all the guys that all sat around in the leather benches. Where were you last night, son? I was at the the Walton Astoria. The Walton Astoria? Who with? My girlfriend. You should be in Walton Jail. It's a game on Anfield. You've missed it. Don't let it happen again. Ruben, give him extra training. Extra training tomorrow. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it, the things you know. In your book, uh, you, you told me a part of the stadium that I'd never heard of, the band box, yeah. uh, which, as you say, was, was like, like, like a continuation of the dugout. But just that, a recess. It was a recess. Yeah, but there's no roof on Into it. Was, the, it no. So I'm going to ask you a question, see if you know this one. Where in Anfield was the pulpit? Because that's where I went for my first match, the pulpit. The pulpit? Well, I have to admit, I don't know where the pulpit was. Okay, if you face the cop from the pitch, the top right-hand corner was the boys' pen. Oh, the boys' pen, But the yeah. top left-hand corner, there was uh, a small flight of stairs, uh, a wall in front, and then underneath was a passageway which led down to the steps going out. Right. That area was called the pulpit. Right, I never be- knew that. Yeah, because you were up on high and you were looking, looking down, down at everybody yeah. with a, a wall in front of you. And my dad took me in there. He put me against the wall. He put a hand either side of me and stood behind me. Uh, and I watched my first game uh, from the pulpit. So there you Fantastic go. memories. Well, sadly, that's all we have time for today. However, I would like to thank our special guest, George Scott, for his time and his stories. Uh, please do buy his book, The Lost Shankly Boy. I also like to thank our sponsor, Brantones, who we're looking for building land across the northwest of England for social housing development uh, from two acres down to half an acre and an acre is about the size of a football field if you've enjoyed our podcast please do like share and rate our podcast episodes and it does help to spread the word if you'd like to sponsor us please contact us on our website sweetsilversong.co.uk if you would like a podcast episode made in memory of a loved one, sponsorship can be as little as £50. So until next time, thanks for listening, and you'll never walk alone.